0: power in your name. God, thank you that you have an army that's rising up to fight our battles for us. Jesus, would you just prepare our hearts and can you continue just to move in our midst, God, whether we're online, at home, or whether we're here, God? Would you just break the chains that hold us back? In Jesus' name, amen. You guys may be seated. So good morning, Shiloh. My name is Mark Lacasse. I'm excited to bring a message to you guys today. Um, so my wife and I recently got hooked on a new TV show. Well, it's kind of an old TV show for my wife because she, um, she's watched it before, but it's new for me. So from what I understand, there's quite a few diehard like, cult following for this show. So I'm going to play the theme song, and if you can identify the show, feel free to call out the name of it, okay? So you don't mind... Anyone know it? I think I heard it over there. Alias, that's right. So um, I've recently become very hooked on the show Alias. If you know nothing about this show, it ran from 2001 to 2006, so I guess it's kind of old now, uh, and it's centered on a spy named Sidney Bristow. So she's played by Jennifer Gardner, who has like the most ridiculous high kick you could ever uh, see, way higher than how I could kick. Um, but anyways, uh, so Sydney Bristow is a spy who was recruited out of college to be a part of a special division of the CIA called SD6. And so she'd been going on missions for a number of years, trying to take down both foreign and domestic foes. Now, I'm going to spoil the first episode for you. So if you want to block your ears and not listen, it drives me crazy when people tell me like the score of like a sports game that I'm interested in watching that's been recorded or they ruin a movie for me. So, I don't want it. so if you want to block your ears, if you're online, you can mute me. Just don't forget to unmute me because I'll keep talking throughout the rest of the message. Um, but so in the first episode, um, her boyfriend proposes to her. And so when Sydney thinks about spending the rest of her life with this man, Danny, she's like, I can't keep this secret that I work for the CIA away from him. But she'd been warned by her employer of like, the dire consequences of what happens if she reveals to anyone what she does for work. But she tells him that she's a spy for the CIA, and he takes it pretty hard. Um, but they don't really have time to work through it because she's heading off on a mission. And so while she's away he's kind of battling, and he leaves a message on her answering machine, which, looking around most people here, quite a few people don't know what an answering machine is, probably. But I won't even get into that. That's just a rabbit trail. Um, But anyway, so he leaves a message on her answering machine that's basically saying, you're a spy, but I love you, and I want to make this work, and blah, 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 blah. Well, Sydney's employer is listening in, and they find out that he knows the truth of her, of her job, her profession. And so they send someone out to kill him. And so when she comes back from her mission, she finds him dead in her apartment. Now, you might be wondering, why would the CIA do something like this? Or maybe that wouldn't surprise you. That's, that's you know, your belief system right there. But Sydney comes to find out she actually doesn't work for the CIA. She's been completely fooled. SD6 is essentially like a mercenary terror network that fights against governments around the world to essentially profit at any opportunity. And so you can imagine her world is blown apart. Not only is her fiancé dead, but she comes to find out that she's been fighting for the wrong side. She's been fighting for the enemy and against who she thought was the friend. And so in thinking about today's message... I'm not just going to talk about a TV show the whole time. Um, But in thinking about today's message, I believe that Sydney's situation with figuring out who's the friend and who's the foe can be applied to each and every one of our lives. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Um, But just to kind of catch you up, we're in the seventh week of a series called From Surviving to Thriving. And the whole purpose of this series is that in the past year of 2020, It was a year of survival for a lot of us. But God calls us to live an abundant life. And so we want to move from surviving to thriving. So we've had a number of messages that have been really great, which I encourage you to go back to and listen, um, shilohcommunity.church under the messages tab, that have talked about having faith and uh, fighting fear and living with forgiveness and being fortunate, avoiding foolishness, and having a fruitful life. And all these messages are pushing us forward and our faith to, th- to thrive. And today, as I mentioned, we'll be answering the question, friend um, or foe? And if I were to summarize the message for today, I would say this, that many of us are like Sidney Bristow in Alias. We spend so much of our energy fighting for the enemy. We spend so much of our time fighting against those who are supposed to be our friends, and maybe not even realizing it. And you might be confused already. You're like, what does he mean that I'm fighting for the enemy, and I'm fighting against my friends. Well, let me ask you a couple questions. Have you ever viewed or treated your spouse as your enemy? And maybe you haven't overtly said to them, you're my enemy, but in the way that you speak to them, the way that you try to come out on top in arguments, have they been your enemy? Have you ever treated a friend like they're your enemy? Or maybe a coworker, Or a boss. Or maybe you've treated your children like your enemy. And I have a five and a three-year-old who are amazing. And it's easy for them to become an enemy. So let's be real with each other, right? Um, How about someone you've never met, but you interact with on social media? Or you read about in the news? Are they your enemy? Or how about God? Maybe you've treated God like your enemy in some way. If there's something that unites everyone here, it's that we all have an enemy. But the enemy isn't the humans that we interact with in person or digitally. Our enemy is Satan. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. right? We're not fighting against humans, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So what Paul's saying here is that our fight isn't against the humans. Our fight is against Satan in the spiritual realm. If I'm being honest, though, many of the people that I mentioned earlier, it's way easier to feel like they're my foe than Satan is. For example, when my wife and I are in an argument, it's easy to view her as my enemy. Or when when a friend has wronged me or not treated me the way that I feel like a friend should treat me, they become my enemy. Or when a coworker doesn't pull their weight and I'm left to pick up the slack... They can become my enemy. Or when my children whine incessantly, or when they get in the way of me wanting to be able to have the fun that I feel like I should have, I can start to view them as my enemy. Or when I see people speak on the news, or I read stories, or hear things people say on social media that have pretty stupid opinions, and let's be real, why is their opinion stupid? It's because it's different than mine, right? They feel like my enemy. And when God doesn't come through the way that I want him to, in the timing that I want, he can become my enemy. And in every one of these situations, I'm pre-programmed by my creator to fight back, right? I want to face with the battle. I want to fight and I want to win. So what happens? Well, I tell Amanda, my wife, exactly what I'm thinking from my selfish perspective, and I don't take into account where she's coming from. Or when a friend has wronged me, I throw everything back on them that I've held in reserve against them, or I start gossiping about them to another friend, or I become passive-aggressive to my coworker, or I start talking about how bad they are as an employee to other people, or I snap at my children because they get in the way of me having the fun that I want, or I make comments on social media about how right I am and try to drill home my point at whatever cost. Or when I feel like God's wronged me, then maybe I stop going to him for help. Or I I go back to sin patterns that we had previously conquered together. And in every single one of these situations, I can come up with amazing justifications for my actions. And maybe you're like me too. You know, my wife doesn't realize how hard I work. Hey, we're not supposed to harbor bitterness, so I'm just getting out my feelings to my friend. Or, it's not fair that I get paid the same as that other person and I do way more work than them. I should be able to talk about them to other people. Or, hey, my friends don't spend as much time with their children as I do. I deserve something more. You know what? Somebody needs to inform the world of how it should operate and how wrong these people are online. Can I really serve a God who allows things to happen like this? The reality, though, is that when we approach these situations from a place of battle, we seek victory over our friends and we turn our friends into foes. And all the while, the true enemy, Satan, is sitting on the sidelines smiling. Because John chapter 10, verse 10 says this it says, The thief's purpose, the enemy's purpose, Satan's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we battle our friends, when we battle the flesh and blood, we become the ones who are doing Satan's work for him. So here's my key point. If we want to move from surviving to thriving, then we need to make sure that we're fighting the right enemy. I heard a great analogy about this and it makes me think of a scale. So, in a situation, let's take a coworker or a friend or you know whoever's coming to mind to you, They wrong me in some way, and so that elevates them on the scale, and it brings me down, right? And so the natural human reaction is, I need to balance this out. I need to level the playing field, or maybe you're more like, I need to destroy them and elevate myself above them. And so I respond by hurling insults. I respond by doing something rude. I essentially respond by trying to win in this situation, And that's how oftentimes we act, but that's a myth. That's not God's way. In God's economy, it looks like this. All of us are on one side of the scale and Satan's on the other. And so when I've been wronged by someone else, it elevates Satan and lowers us. And then when I respond by trying to win or get back or do something, it elevates Satan further and brings our side, God's side, human side, even further down. And the only way to balance out the playing field, the only way to elevate God's side, is to show the love and the grace that he's shown to us. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. So we, it's important that we recognize that we don't want to, as the quote says up there, dump on each other for Satan's sake, but we want to elevate God in his love in our relationships. Before I continue, though, I want to be clear and I want to be sensitive to wherever it is that you're coming from today, because I don't know what you faced in your relationships. I don't know what's stirring inside you. I don't know the hurts that you felt. I know that I have my own set of hurts and my own sort of experiences, and I'm not looking to give excuses to people who have wronged you or to say, we should just forget about everything that's happened and move on or what they've done to you is okay. I just want to acknowledge the fact that we all have our hurts. We all have the hard things that we've walked through in life. You know, your marriage isn't perfect. No spouse is perfect. No child is perfect, no matter how hard we try. No boss or coworker or job is perfect. We've all experienced hurt. And you know, I'm sorry, right? I'm sorry that we've been disappointed by people. Our feelings are real, and I get it, but we can't turn those feelings into battle against our friends. We need to stop fighting these people as our enemy and elevating Satan's side of the scale. We need to stop viewing them as our foe. Now, you might wonder, well, how can, you, how can I ask you to stop battling that person or that individual? I think the answer is pretty simple. It's because we're called to show them grace, and you're like, yeah, but Mark, you don't get it. You don't live with them. You don't work with them. They don't deserve it. And you're right. They do not deserve it at all. And neither do you and neither do I. None of us deserve the grace because none of us are perfect. We've, all of us have wronged others in our lives. We're sinners who are saved by grace. You know, Ephesians 2 um, verses 8 to 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things that we've done, so none of us can boast about it. So guys, we are all saved by grace as a free gift. It's not that some of us work for the grace and others get it as a gift. It's all the same. We are all unified in that as humans, that we are saved by grace. Now, you might wonder how does that grace apply to friend versus foe? Well, if we go to another scripture in John chapter 13, um, verses 34, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. So if God has loved us by showing us this unmerited favor, this grace in our lives, and we're called to love others the way that Jesus has loved us, then it's our responsibility to extend that grace and that love. To others in our life, the same way that we've received it. In uh, another scripture, Philippians chapter two, verses three to four, I think that God—or not God—Paul describes a way to show this grace and love to others. He says, "Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others, but be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest." And others too. So what he's telling us here is that we need to elevate others in our lives above ourselves. Elevate others instead of elevating Satan's side of the scale. And when, let's, let's be real, when we start thinking too highly of ourselves, then we get into the mindset that, well, I am owed, I deserve to be treated, I deserve certain things. And then when that happens, so does the battle. I love what Andy Stanley says, Pastor Andy Stanley, about this scripture. He, whenever he refers to this, he challenges people to get into a submission competition, where he challenges you, get into a competition with other people where you are trying to submit to them, to put them higher than yourself, more than they do to you. So he gives the analogy of you and someone else standing at a doorway. And it's, you go first. No, no, you go first. No, you go first. And it's that perpetual putting the other people first, letting them go ahead of you. And I think that if we can move past competing and fighting and move more towards that submission competition, then that's going to be one of the greatest ways to battle Satan and to show others the love that Jesus has shown us. One thing we need to realize, though, is it's not going to happen in our own strength. Have you ever had like, I'm going to get up today and not say any rude words or not be any, that's what, we, anyway, that's what we say to our kids. Don't use rude words. But anyways, but I'm not going to be mean in any way or I'm not going to sin in any way. And you're like trying your willpower and it doesn't last too long. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can accomplish these things as we partner with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> no, maybe you're like me though. And you're playing out the situation. If I was listening online, I'd be like, "Okay, Mark, right? I, I've this person's come to mind. I know which area in my life I'm battling someone, and I'm going to stop being rude to them. I'm going to show them grace. I'm going to do my part to stop the battle, but nothing's going to change because they are who they are, and they're still just going to be as fill in the blank with." whatever Christian blank you'd like to fill in with as before, you know, essentially, they're not going to stop battling me. And let's be honest, there's a good chance that will happen. But it's not for us to determine who we're going to show grace to and who we don't. We're called to show grace to all. And Jesus, when he's speaking in Matthew 19, 26, he says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So I challenge you to go into that relationship, go into that shift believing that, you know what, God can accomplish anything here. He can fix any relationship. As we read or saying earlier, he can break any chain. It won't necessarily be in the timing or the way that we expect, but we have to have faith that he can. And, you know, if there is that relationship that's coming to mind and you're going to, you know, pursue ending that battle and moving from foe to friend— maybe one of the things you have to do is talk to them. You don't just have to ignore your feelings. Maybe you have to talk to them and share with them what's been so challenging lately. But my challenge to you would be do it from a place of unity and rebuilding the relationship, not from a place of trying to get your point across and somehow still try to win the battle. And before you do that, I would encourage you, and when I say you, I mean myself as well, before we do that, I would encourage us to listen to Steve Hammes' message from a couple of weeks ago. When Steve was talking about making good decisions, he challenged us before we make a decision, ask ourselves, am I being honest with myself? Really, am I being honest? Before you have that conversation, am I really trying to rebuild the relationship? Or am I still trying to win in some way? And as we move forward in these relationships, moving from foe to friend, you know, maybe we have to recognize we just need to let go of things that are out of our control. Proverbs 19.21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And I read this as God's in control. I'm not in control. So we may have some grand plan for how this relationship can get fixed and how this problem can be solved, how to make things better. But the fact is, I'll never make my spouse exactly the way I want her to be. I'll never make my children exactly the way I want them to be. I'll never make my coworkers, I'll, let's be real, online, come on, we will never make people online the way that we want them or think that they should be. But maybe the most important part of what you walk through with this person or the situation isn't how they change, but it's how you change, how we change. I remember a time when I was a lot younger, um, in like my early 20s, which that feels weird to say a lot younger and being in the early, anyways. um, But I was in a very unhealthy relationship. And I had been in that unhealthy relationship for a number of years. And the individual had truly become my foe, but I just, I couldn't get myself out of the relationship. And There was like this small part of me that was hoping God would change that person to be able to make the relationship work. But in all reality, I'd completely walked away from my faith. Um, And in the end, God didn't change the person the way that I hoped. But he used that unhealthy time in my life to hit rock bottom. Like truly rock bottom. I said in the first service, and it just kind of came to mind. I literally remember near the end of this relationship and when it finally ended, sitting in my room in my parents' basement, with my phone on a Friday night, having no one to call. I literally had no friends. I had no one left in my life besides for my family. And so God didn't change the person, but he used that rock bottom to change me. To see how important family is, and to also give me the strength and the freedom to eventually walk away. And I think that that's an important point in our relationships. Sometimes we just hit our heads against the wall so many times trying to make something work in our own way. And sometimes God's just giving us the freedom to just turn around and walk away. And I don't think you should do that with your child when they're five and say, you've been so rude. I'm just leaving you on the doorstep here and I'm leaving and not coming. No. But I think that in some friendships, that's, that's okay. As long as we're pursuing God and seeing, is this what you have for me here? And in my situation, in the end, it had nothing to do with the person being changed, but God changing my heart. So it's important to know that Satan is our enemy, and he's constantly seeking to steal, kill, and destroy in our relationships. And we don't want to elevate his side of the scale, but we want to walk with God and show love and grace and elevate his ways. You know, another important thing we have to realize is there's another enemy and he might be, or this might be an offshoot of Satan, or you can theologically go where you want with that, but while we battle Satan, we also battle our flesh, or our sinful nature, or our selfish nature. And so Paul, in Romans chapter 7, who might be the most holy man ever after his conversion, even he describes this battle of the flesh. He says, I've discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Has anyone ever been there before? I think, for all being honest, yeah. I, loves God's, I love God's law with all my heart, but there's another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? And so that's, that's this flesh, this sinful nature that's in us that causes us to battle. We want to do what's right, but then we still fall and do what's wrong. And he continues in Romans 8 to say, we have continuous victory. Thanks be to God, we have continuous victory through Jesus Christ. Amen. So we can stand on that, but there's still that battle that happens and leads to a lot of the bad decisions that we make that in turn hurt other people. And so recognizing this sin nature that we all battle, it doesn't give an excuse for the mistakes that we make, or it doesn't give an excuse for the mistakes that other people make in our direction, but it can give us an understanding of why people may act the way they do. And it can help us in the end show grace to others in the ways that we've mentioned earlier and show God's love. So the question is, when we're hurt by others, when we're hurt by those that are close to us, who are battling that flesh, that sinful nature, how will we respond? Will we battle them as our foe? Or will we pray for the help to love them as our friend? And I got to brag on my wife, Amanda, for a second, and she told me to make sure you all know she's not really a goody-two-shoes, even though I think she's amazing. But one of her greatest strengths is her ability to show me grace. Because, let's be real, I've made a lot of bad mistakes and decisions in our almost 10 years of marriage. And I'm sure each time she's tempted to be hurt, she's tempted to take it personally, she's tempted to fight me back as her foe, but, oh my word, so often she is just so gracious to me. I don't know how, I literally won the jackpot with her. Um, But I think one of the reasons why she's able to show me grace is that she knows me and she knows my heart and she knows the person that I want to be and the man of God that I strive to be in my life. So with the help of the Holy Spirit, she comes alongside me as my friend and we talk about what happened and we figure things out and we move on. It doesn't mean we brush it under the rug and forget that any wrongdoing happened. No, we figure it out together. And she extends me the grace that, you know, she hopes that I will show her at some point if she ever makes a mistake in our marriage, but she hasn't done that yet, so maybe year 11, the first one, will happen. Um, That was supposed to be a joke, guys. Thank you. Okay, so as we conclude, I wanted to just review a few of the things that we've talked about today. If we want to move from surviving to thriving, then we need to recognize the true enemy and battle them. And the enemy is Satan, not the people that God's placed in our lives. And the greatest way to stop battling our friends and show them the love, the greatest way to stop battling is to show them the love that Jesus has showed us. And he showed us love by granting us grace, this unmerited favor. And we can extend that to others. And one way we can do that is to get into that submission competition, elevating them above ourselves and putting them first. You know another thing is we need to control what we can control in these relationships and let go of the rest. Just to challenge myself and you guys for a moment, you know one other thought I'd like to add is it's so easy to blame others in these relationships and not look to our own role that we play. President former president Theodore Roosevelt once said, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. And I think that's so true, right? We bring on most of the trouble in our lives, yet it's easy to look to others to blame. And lastly, it's important to know that we all have a sin nature. And the sin nature that we have doesn't excuse poor behavior, but it can give us empathy for others when they let us down and help us extend them grace. You know, recognizing, I've heard Ed and other pastors up here share many times, you know, the devil entangles us in a few specific scenarios, and everybody's sins that he goes at us are different. For example, drugs, alcohol mean nothing to me. You could tempt me with those, whatever, and it's not going to mean much to me. Um, but there's other areas of my life that are temptation. And so when I see someone who might be an alcoholic or would I name any other sort of thing, I might be like, well, why would you do that? Just stop. But then when I face my own sin battles, it's so hard to stop, right? It's only through the help of the Jesus to break those chains, but we have to recognize and have empathy for others. What they battle is the same thing we're battling. It's just got a different name. And again, it doesn't excuse the behavior, but it can help us show them love and grace and come alongside them as a friend. So I'd like to end with a story from John chapter 5. And I read this earlier in the week and it just really hit home with me. So in John chapter 5, Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda and there's a number of people there that are disabled. And he walks up to a man who's been disabled for 38 years. He's an invalid for 38 years, relying on other people to do and meet his most basic needs. And Jesus says to this man, kind of an odd question. He says, do you want to be well? And when I read that this week, it was just like, well, that's kind of a dumb question. This man's been like disabled for 38 years. Of course, he wants to be well. He wants to be healed. He wants to be fixed. He wants to move on in his life. But as I was thinking about it, I feel like the Holy Spirit impressed on my heart in our relationships with your spouse, with your friends, your coworkers, your boss, with those people online, with your children with God himself. Do you want to be well in that relationship? And maybe you're like the man in Bethesda, and the obvious answer is, well, yes, I want to be well. I want this healing. I want to move on. But we need to be honest with ourselves. Is that really where we're at? Because I'll be, I'll be honest, it's hard to let go It's hard to elevate other people in our lives. It's hard to get into a submission competition with someone who there's no competition because they're not doing anything to help. It's hard to let go of past hurts. It's hard to put other people first. But I believe that Jesus is asking us that question if we want to be well, and if we answer yes, he's promised that he will provide everything we need to make that happen, and then we can move from surviving to thriving in these relationships. And it doesn't mean the person will change. It doesn't mean the situation will necessarily change. But the most important part of what you're walking through might have nothing to do with that person and how they change, but everything about how you change. So I want to leave you with two questions. And I really challenge you, make time to look at these. Think about them. It's easy to turn off the TV when the message is done and move on. I'll be honest, every week my wife is like, what did you get from that? And I want to just walk away and be like, can we just move on to the next part of our day? But she challenges me to talk about it, which is good for me. But I really challenge you, take time. Think about who do I find myself treating as a foe? And maybe the person, the people have come to mind, maybe not. And then next, once you have that name, those people, what's God calling me to do? in that relationship? How can I turn them from a foe to a friend? The kid's Bible story that my children have been watching online the last few weeks um, as part of our church has been talking about how God entrusts people with little things, and as we become faithful in the little, he gives us larger responsibility. So I challenge you, don't think you need to solve this issue with one swift act. Start little. And as you start little... Trust that what God says, you know, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So stand with us as, we, as I pray. God, I just want to simply pray that you would take the words today, and God, if there's something here for someone, would you just sink it deep into their heart? God, I believe that you're able to break chains. God, I believe that through the power of Jesus, you're able to throw back the enemy and you've defeated the enemy. And so, God, I pray for that continuous victory in our lives as we seek you. And God, if there's things from the message today that that aren't from you, would they just go past the people's ears and move on? But God, if there are things, would they just sink deep into the hearts and minds? and just cause us to action to show your love that you have so graciously shown us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a great day.